The much-anticipated sequel to the number one movie Climate Hustle is out September 24th. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Gun Show. the original Climate Hustle movie. It was made by Mark Morano of Climate Depot and the gang from the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. You know them as C-Fact. Now here at Rebel News, when the original movie was first released a few years ago, we held premieres in cities across Canada, including one in Edmonton, deep in the heart of far left-wing green socialist NDP premier at the time, Rachel Notley's own riding. The people waiting to get into the movie to see the other side of the debate about the climate scare were lined up around the block. It was so much fun that night. And that night, we announced we were sending a rebel team to the United Nations Climate Change Conference held in Morocco that year. It was the first time ever that we went to that conference. Now, the pandemic has thrown a bit of a wrench into big blockbuster theater-style movie premieres, but it certainly hasn't stopped our friends from CFACT and Climate Depot from putting together the sequel to Climate Hustle. And the worldwide online premiere is September 24th. So joining me tonight in an interview we recorded earlier this week is my friend Craig Rucker from CFAC to talk about Climate Hustle 2, including the major Hollywood talent starring in his new movie. So joining me now from Virginia is Craig Rucker from C-Fact. Craig, I haven't spoken to you in a little while. Last time I spoke to you, you were uh, at a speaking engagement here in Alberta. Um, but I wanted to have you on the show because you have some very exciting news to share with us um, coming up here on the 24th. Absolutely. The groundbreaking uh, new film, Climate Hustle 2, is about to hit theaters all around the world. Well, not exactly theaters. We're going to be doing a live uh, worldwide premiere September 24th at 8 p.m. in every time zone, starting out in uh, Australia and the Philippines at 8 p.m., Af uh, Asia 8 p.m., Africa, Europe, everywhere, including Alberta at 8 p.m. internationally. Our film will star Kevin Sorbo, and it's going to blow the lid off of the climate change hoax brought to you by Greta Thunberg, Al Gore, and that crowd. So uh, this is a follow-up to our first movie, Climate Hustle, which premiered back in 2016 and for one night was the number one movie in America, beating out My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 and Superman versus Batman, which we're very proud of. But this is even better. Yeah, I remember... Um... We helped with a premiere here in Alberta. We did one in uh, Edmonton and one in Calgary. And we did at least the one in Edmonton in the heart of our at the time socialist premiers riding. <laughs> um, and uh, it lined up around the street. I mean, if we could have had a bigger theater, we could have filled that one too. There were so much um, 
desire for people to hear the other side of the story, the story that isn't being told in the mainstream media that you're not allowed to tell on our state broadcaster. Now, uh, Climate Hustle 2, uh, it's got kind of an interesting name because it's not just Climate Hustle 2. It's, is it the rise of the climate monarchy? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we put that in there. And by the way, we weren't just sold out in Calgary and Edmonton, but believe it or not, in Toronto and yeah. somewhere in, I guess it's Nova Scotia, for two times. They actually showed it, I think, three times in Toronto. So your more liberal East Coast neighbors also showed it, and it did fairly well. So uh, we were happy about that. Yes, Rise of the Climate Monarchy. And that is um, uh, a name of it is a little bit uh, controversial, only if you're perhaps in a country that has a monarchy. We did get a little bit of flack for that from our English friends, and even from uh, Vaclav Klaus, who's the former president of Czechoslovakia, who appears in this show. Um, but we wanted to... Uh, say we're not against monarchies, all of them necessarily. I mean, you know, you got Prince Charles. Look, it's not our system in America. We broke yeah. from that. We weren't big on that. But I understand some countries are. But the climate monarchy, we can all be agreement that we should oppose. Who are the climate monarchs? They are the people uh, that are living high in the hog. We wanted to expose those in Hollywood, in the um, political culture, uh, those who are making a lot of money off of this particular issue, who tend to gain in power, and basically are hypocrites. You got, for example, uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger telling everybody to go and blow dry his your clothes on an outdoor clothesline uh, to save carbon emissions. Meanwhile, he's flying on a private jet up the coast to grab a cheeseburger, as was Harrison Ford. Uh, we have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's also showcased in this movie, a guy who, you know, is outspoken and telling everybody else how to live. Yet the guy goes on yachts by oil tycoons from the Middle East and, uh, you know, has a carbon footprint where he flies tens of thousands of miles to collect environmental awards. Uh, this is the type of hypocrisy. What are they setting up? They're setting up basically an, an aristocracy where they... I can do certain things, but you can't. You take public transportation? <laughs> I don't. I take private jets and airplanes. You go ahead and um, you know lower your carbon footprint by uh, turning down your thermostat. I myself, like Al Gore, will use you know in one month what the entire American uses for an entire year. So it's this sort of hypocrisy and the money that they get, and we want to blow the we want to blow the doors off that. You know, you might get some criticism about the word monarchy, but being someone who lives under a monarch here in Canada, because we're a member of the Commonwealth, um, I think it's exactly right. You have unelected people making decisions and influencing the levers of power to control your lives. I mean, we have a, a teenager named Greta Thunberg speaking at the United Nations and every politician in this country and in the majority of the Western world is tripping over themselves to listen to her and then implement her crazy ideas. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, I will say that I uh, almost feel sorry for her. I mean, there's been so many yeah. things. Last year was her year of stardom. Uh, she still hasn't graduated high school, I think. Uh, seems like a sweet kid. Obviously has handlers on her that are writing uh, all that she's doing. And uh, so I don't want to pick on her too much, but certainly she's been uh, used as almost like a puppet in this whole uh, particular escapade. And it's tragic. It's terrible. Uh, and, and it's surprising to me people can't see through it. 
And yes, it is a monarchy in, in the classic sense of an aristocracy of people at the United Nations, where I know you've been, Sheila, and yes. you've seen it firsthand because yes. you and I have been there together. These are people that, uh, you know, like to sit down and opine how they can make uh, everything equal. And climate is not just about climate. Another thing we're going to showcase in this film, which, by the way, you can get a ticket to our world premiere at climatehustle2.com, um, is just also many other things tied into climate that you wouldn't think have anything to do with climate, you know, like uh, ecofeminism and, uh, you know, the education system and learning about the Green New Deal and uh, all the different human rights things. And you'd go, how do these things have anything to do with the weather or temperature? Uh, well, we look at that as well. We review the science and we have about 20 plus scientists in this movie that are very credentialed that will uh, discuss this as well. You know, I really noticed the first little bit of like the shoehorning of extra social justice issues into climate change. Uh, I think it was in Bonn, Germany, where they had all those statues all around Bonn of climate refugees. And it was like at that moment I realized, oh, okay, this is the catch all. Not, not only are they using, uh, you know, climate change to... Uh, in, institute carbon taxes here in Canada and and do the wealth transfer that we all know that you know environmentalism is really about. But now we've got all these other issues that are coming on board, like feminism and like immigration, where everything now is part of this spider web of climate change. It's become the thing by which they will control your life and by which they will govern every other aspect of our lives. Oh, yeah. We have the, uh, obviously, you've heard of the race riots here. So yep. now uh, the big buzzword, you look on the Twitter accounts and everything else, it's eco, it's uh, environmental racism. And uh, somehow if you're against uh, climate, or climate is more of a racist uh, trend that hurts those of, uh, you know, one race of people more than another. It's almost like the old saying, you know, global warming caused a flood, wiped out an entire village, women Im impacted the worst, you know, everybody's dead, but you know, it's like everybody dies. So I'm not really clear about how they uh, message this stuff. Bottom line is they want to control your lives. Uh, they want to tell you what you should have for your thermostat, uh, in Japan, they actually have laws that uh, they put through about telling you when to go to bed so they can save certain uh, amounts of electricity. Uh, your diet, you know, as to what yeah. you eat is an environmentally approved diet. Uh, these are all things, again, we highlight. They even want to do even some more crazy things uh, dealing with uh, your makeup biologically to uh, make you more carbon friendly. And uh, we have a, a professor, Lau, from uh, New York University who talks about shrinking people and uh, getting meat patches on our bodies and uh, changing our behavior, uh, behavior modification through maybe some additives in our food. Oh, my goodness. That's it's it's very scary. Uh, the things that they are willing to try to do to humanity uh, because they see climate change is this existential threat. And I'm not even sure if all that many of them really believe it because they sure don't live like they believe it, but they kind of want to be these mad scientists towards humanity, like the kind of experiments they think they can get away with if they say, oh, well, it's, you know, for this big benevolent reason, we're going to save the world from climate change. Let me experiment on the human body. 
It's oh, yeah. bizarre. Well, it, and don't think just because they're crazy now that they don't make it. I mean, if you would have told me a few years ago that uh, a major chain like a Burger King or McDonald's would be selling impossible burgers. Right. I would have said, ah, oh, come on. And for the climate. And that's the reason that they're doing this. Yep. Uh, interesting side note, I knew you were in Madrid, right? You went to yes. Madrid with us in the last climate conference. And I, I, I found it amusing that uh, generally they only allow certain vendors inside of these UN conferences. And one of them was Burger King. My first reaction was, well, maybe they have the impossible burger. And the reason they allow Burger King is because, I mean, as we all know, cows and burgers are an environmental bane. I mean, that's like the worst thing you can do. Why would they let Burger King in there unless they're showcasing something climate friendly? So they did. And all the delegates were going to the Burger King <laughs> thing. So I, I asked the Burger King person there, I said, are you serving the impossible burger or are these guys actually and they go no we don't have the impossible burger all the delegates here who are going to conference sessions saying we need to eliminate beef are chowing down on whoppers in in between their sessions and it was the most busy of all the different venues in the entire uh you know un gathering on climate change so they're hypocrite again monarchs they what they're telling you to do eat these impossible burgers by the way sheila did you actually eat one of those i was yeah. curious I did not, however, Kian did when we were there. And we're both, I would suggest we're beef aficionados. We're both farmers. Uh, we come from cattle country. Um, so we know good beef, good grass-fed beef. And uh, Kian, he gagged. Like he could, he got a bite. They are made with beets so that they bleed like a burger, but it's, it's a vegetable. It's gross. It, it's just a vegetable that's bleeding. And it was just really, it was not palatable. See, I'm not an aficionado. I like the deer hunt. We get a lot of our burgers Us out too. here. Yeah. But I was going to say that I decided the CFAC crew that I was with decided to go and try one of these impossible burgers. It couldn't do it at the UN climate conference, but we could outside in Madrid. And I will say this, on the one hand, it's not horrible when it goes down. However, if they're interested no. in getting rid of greenhouse gases, uh, after about an hour and you have this in your system, I'm not so sure you don't <laughs> put out more greenhouse gases than you consume, if you know what I mean. Oh boy. Yeah. I've seen, I've, sometimes I end up on uh, the vegan side of YouTube just to see how the other half lives. And that seems to be their one complaint is just bloating and I, I can imagine why because <laughs> Kian did not enjoy that burger but it's funny you mentioned the hypocrisy of the UN delegates because that is it seems to be every year that I go it's I could do a week's worth of look at these people being hypocrites look at those people being hypocrites I mean at, in Madrid just the garbage on the ground they had people handing out like handbills and pamphlets and stuff and on paper, I don't a glossy paper, by the way, as you go in to the UN site, and it was just a big stack all around the garbage can. These delegates couldn't even get their garbage, their wasteful garbage into the garbage can. When we were in um, Morocco, um, that was when uh, Mark was taken away by Moroccan security forces. I never I was saw. Too, by the way, we were both tossed into the desert. Yeah, uh, I never saw my lav mic again after that. <laughs> <laughs> but every morning, water trucks would come in to the UN compound and water the ground in the desert so that the fancy UN delegates didn't get dust on their shoes. And then inside, they're saying, okay, well, municipalities need to have 
low flow shower heads and low flush toilets because we need to save water. But for the United Nations delegates, they couldn't even put together what a bunch of hypocrites they were, that they were trucking in water to cut the dust in a desert. I mean, it's just well, bizarre. Oh, yeah. You see that all the time. And I, uh, you know, you've been to the parties there, too. They're yeah. sometimes a little over the top. My fun, One of my favorites was in, uh, I think it was in a Cancun summit a few years back. They used to have these uh, wind turbines that they were showing off how they produce electricity in that. It turns out our CFAC students were with us. We found out that they weren't run by wind. They were actually motorized on the electric grid to go round and round and round. So uh, they were just put there as uh, things to impress people from other countries, but you know, weren't exactly legit. And some of the poor kids, they put out really ridiculous things. I remember these school children were decorating trees as, with these little bubbles as though the trees could talk. And one tree would say, you know, stop global warming, protect me, no more deforestation. But my favorite one was this little bush that was speaking and said, no more CO2. And I thought about that. I said, that's like a person saying no more oxygen. You know, it's like, uh, seriously, uh, nobody stopped them, nobody educated. But you know, the kid said that this little tree didn't want any more CO2, you know. <laughs> I, the wind turbine story reminds me of um, in Morocco, there were these electric car chargers outside of the UN complex. And I sat outside there for about an hour one day and I never saw anybody use them. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Like I thought even like someone would just pull up just to say they used the the UN's electric car charger until I leaned on the charger and it almost fell over with the weight of my body weight and I'm not a big woman and it was because it was empty it was just a shell of a charger that wow. they were using as a photography prop for the rest of the world um because even like when you uh, I don't know if you noticed in Germany when uh, at the UN site the whole place hummed, it buzzed with the sound of diesel generators that were hidden all over the place. The <laughs> lights were diesel generated lights. Oh, uh, we know because I'm, my family's from the oil patch. So the, those light towers, I know they operate on diesel and you could hear them everywhere. Um, the whole UN complex was just powered by the sounds of diesel. And the uh, happy little delegates were just happy to be ignorant on the inside of the site. Well, yep. I know you and I have shared a few adventures there, <laughs> Sheila. So I, uh, I trust we will some more unless we get kicked out again permanently. Uh, the hope is, is that we are, at least in the United States portion, with the uh, yep. re-election of uh, Trump, uh, we'll see... Uh, the U.S. withdrawal. But of course, we have a lot of battles going on yet. Uh, anything can happen in this particular election, and <laughs> we're not sure how it's going to go, especially who knows with the voter fraud and all the different things that are going on. It'll be contested almost surely, made more complicated, of course, by the uh, Justice Ginsburg dying just this last weekend. So in the midst of this, we're trying to put out a movie, but uh, and it is still very relevant uh, for, you know, understanding the climate hustle. A lot of people, when they look at a Supreme Court justice in the United States, they think of Second Amendment rights, guns. They think yep. of uh, the abortion issue is a big one. Uh, yep. There's all sorts of things, that, strict constitutionalists. 
Well, in the climate and energy issue, it's the same thing. Our Supreme Court justices have weighed in on pipeline decisions. They've weighed in on these school kids' decisions where school children are trying to say there's a generational uh, thing that our generation needs to protect them. And though, therefore, things like the Green New Deal maybe need to be implemented from the bench. You know, and uh, you have uh, just the endangerment finding, which found that CO2 was in danger. All this could be overturned depending on this next justice. So we want to get the word out. I do encourage all of uh, your listeners to check it out. We got the world premiere again at climatehustle2.com and do recommend that they they get a chance to check it out. And it'll be on sale at that same website on DVD or downstreaming afterward. So I went. I want to ask you one quick question before I uh, give you another one more chance to plug where they can uh, find uh, tickets and to support the work that you do with CFACT. Uh, Kamala Harris, sorry, Kamala Harris. I don't want anybody to get mad at me because I said her name wrong. Uh, she's a Green New Deal supporter. Um, one of the early ones on it. One of the early ones, exactly. She's. Do you think that the selection of her as Biden's running mate, uh, do you, for me as a Canadian, I look at that and I say, okay, well, the Democrats are totally taken over by the loony left. Like they, they, there's the moderates are completely overrun. Uh, do you think that that is uh, the selection of Kamala Harris? Do you think that's going to turn off some of the more moderate pro business Democrats if there are any of them left? Oh, that's a good one. I think it was orchestrated here. I mean, you have the um, Antifa riot, race, Black Lives Matters riots, and things like that. So the picking of a uh, uh, um, you know an African American woman onto the ticket, I don't know as though he had much of a choice, but it all was seen fairly choreographed or scripted to try to uh, heighten uh, the interest in the in those who are in the minority community and the black community uh, to come out in force for. Uh, the vice uh, or for, for former Vice President Biden. Uh, in truth, uh, I think that this is actually a desperation measure. Uh, Trump has actually gone way up uh, record levels for a, a Republican on uh, the number of blacks, particularly black men. Yeah. Uh, some have them as high up as in the uh, mid to upper 20s. Among some, uh, other ones have them about 15 to 17 percent. And while this is by no means a majority, it's significant because generally a Republican candidate gets about eh, eight to 10 percent of the uh, black vote. And so I think a lot of this and her selection was done to try to put a dent in that, making her the first African-American vice president ever. And uh, I don't think it's going to work because traditionally Americans don't vote for vice president. I know a lot of people think that that's important. This is all about Donald Trump. You've got a constituency that deeply thinks he's going the right way. That would be somebody like me uh, who he's going the right direction. But then you have an awful lot of people and uh, <laughs> that are just going to vote against him. Generally speaking, that doesn't bode, bode well for those who are against a candidate. There's not really been an example in modern history of um, people not voting for a president, but uh, voting against him that prevails. So, uh, you know, generally you have to have something to beat something. You can't just say I'm against Trump and vote for somebody who can stand and maybe say a few phrases and, you know. And that's why these debates are going to be interesting, because I think he's going to have to stand mano a mano to, to Trump. And I don't think it's enough he just survives. He has to show, like Reagan did many years ago, he is the better candidate. 
good luck with that. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, barring any sort of fraud. Yeah, I want to watch the debates, but I also don't want to watch the debates in the way that I don't want to drive past an accident scene where I know someone has died. Like, I feel <laughs> sort of bad for what Trump could possibly do to Biden because Biden just seems so feeble-minded. And I'm hopeful as a Canadian for the American election that Trump does get reelected because it bodes well for pipelines for us here in Canada. And I think in the last election, there was a large bunch of silent Trump supporters that just, you know, you, you saw how Trump supporters were being treated. So you didn't want to say you were one, too. I think that effect is going to be even greater because now there's riots. You know, people are being canceled. You get punched out if you're a kid wearing a Trump hat. I mean, it's really bad out there to be a Trump supporter. And so I think a lot of people are like, I'm going to vote for Trump, but the hell anybody's going to know about it. I think that is that effect is going to play quite a bit into this next election. I live in a very rural conservative area of uh, Virginia. Uh, generally speaking, the conservative candidate, and in this case, Trump will win very handily. Ah, this election cycle, you don't see a lot of Trump signs up. And the yep. reason is, even though they're the overwhelming majority, and I personally know a lot of my neighbors, and I know how they're going to yep. vote, the reason they're not putting them up is even this morning. One of my neighbors from a nearby town phoned me and said, well, my signs have gotten robbed. They've been ripped down. They just don't want the aggravation because the opposition has just gone absolutely berserk. So it, it's a quiet support. And we'll see if that uh, holds true in the election. So as far as CFAC goes, we're not actually partisan. I know I mentioned what my personal preference is, but sure. we... Uh, but we ourselves uh, don't take a, don't have a dog in this fight. We do on the policy issues. Yep. Uh, so in that regard, we do support uh, sound policies that are free market oriented, sound science oriented, which is why we put together a movie like Climate Hustle, too, because we think uh, a voice is not being heard on this whole climate and energy debate. And uh, so we wanted to bring it out in a and uh, what we call edutainment, entertaining yet educational manner. So. Yeah. Now, uh, people can get tickets for the show at climatedepot.com, but also climatehustle2.com. Is that right? Yes. And I would recommend climatehustle2.com. You can go to the other one. There is a advertisement for it on the Climate yeah. Depot site. But I would actually recommend going to climatehustle2, and that's numeral two, climatehustle2.com. And our world premiere again is this Thursday night at 8 p.m., and that'll be 8 p.m. Alberta time or wherever you are in the world. And uh, get your ticket. If you aren't able to make that, we will have the DVDs and Blu-rays available right after that that you can order as well. So hopefully we can see you all make a big uh, go of this and really make an impact on this issue, which is long overdue, just like with the... Uh, uh, COVID lockdowns. There's, you know, I think that a lot of the modeling has been suspect that has been used by those trying to use these types of issues, yeah. do lockdowns and the like. Um, I think that that's been instructive. I think a lot of people now get it, whereas before this whole thing, they might have just been, oh, well, science has spoken. Well, has it? 
you know, maybe a segment of it has, but there's an awful lot of scientists from MIT, from Harvard, from, uh, you know, uh, University of Alabama, universities around the world that are speaking out against the idea that man's emissions are creating a climate catastrophe. On some level, I think as uh, climate realists, we should be a little bit grateful for the COVID crisis in that it taught people that modeling can be wrong and we didn't have to wait a hundred years for that to play out in real time. It happened over the course of six months. So hopefully that wakes people up to um, just how many guesses are involved in all of this stuff. When, when they're guessing about modeling, what's happening in real time is that people's lives are being ruined. And um, they're doing that through climate policy and they're doing that through these lockdowns also. Um, Craig, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for being so generous with your time today. Best of luck with the world premiere. I'll be tuning in. Um, the last one was so well done. I can't even imagine how great this one's going to be, especially with Kevin Sorbo. Um, and hopefully we can have you back on again real soon. Anytime, Sheila. It's always a pleasure seeing you. Thanks, Thank Craig. you. You just know the left is going to lose their ever-loving minds because this one movie is going to challenge their climate change narrative. You see, the only acceptable opinions Hollywood wants you to hear about climate change are the ones that conform with their worldview. You know that worldview, though, Leonardo DiCaprio, Al Gore, the world is going to end because of your SUV, but not because of their fleet of limos or private jets and constant world travel worldview. Yeah, that one. I know this movie is going to be a success, just like the last one. It's going to be a success for the same reason we at Rebel News often have more eyeballs on our work than the mainstream media does. People are hungry. They're desperate to just hear the other side of the story. They don't want to lecture from self-appointed moral and intellectual superiors in Hollywood or Ottawa for that matter. Well, everyone, that's the show for tonight. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. <laughs>